0: This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Well, we're kicking off a brand new series this month. These last several weeks of own Point were incredible. If you missed one or maybe all of them, maybe you weren't haven't been around or you could be a guest today, feel free to download our app, Calvary, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, F-T-W for Fort Worth, Calvary F-T-W. You can go back and listen to all of last month's sermon series on point. And I'm telling you, it was as good as it gets out of the word of the Lord. And uh, today we're starting a new one called Jesus Is. We're entering into some holiday seasons, Thanksgiving's around the corner. Then it won't be long until we get Christmas. And uh, we'll be starting a new year. So I'm taking a few weeks and looking at these two words, Jesus is, And my first subtopic, which will be the launch today, is Jesus is my best friend. He is my best friend. So let's kind of jump in, and we'll see where this takes us. Uh, If you've got a friend that you consider to be a best friend, you've got something that money can't buy, man. When you've got a friend, I'm talking about best friend. Friend. Uh, I know it's kind of cheesy and it's kind of outdated, but the whole BFF kind of friend, best friend, you've got something special. And I've got mine. I've got my best friends. Unfortunately for me, none of them live here. They're all people I either grew up with or they're people that I met in my college years. And God's just brought me a circle of the closest friends I could ever dream of having my best friends kind of identify them that way because they really are the first phone call I make when I'm in a, in a bind, when I need help, when I'm in, in, a, in, a, in a place that I need encouragement. And they're the first people I call whenever I want to celebrate something good, a win, a victory, something good's happening in my life. They're, they're really the first people I talk to. I call them my best friends. And after a lot of time sitting at my desk preparing this sermon I really was wanting to come up with a way of saying what qualifies Alden, Brian, Jeff, and Frank, and Rich, and Paul. What qualifies these guys to be my best friend? And this may or may not resonate with you, but the best way I can describe it, that these guys, they're my best friends because they get me. They get me. And and I don't know if that clicks with you or not, but there's really no better way of saying it. They they get me. They 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 get my weaknesses. They get my strengths. They they get my failures. They get my victories. They get me, and they don't treat me any differently uh, at all. They don't they don't they don't put me on a pedestal, and they definitely don't step on me either. They we just kind of flow. It's healthy, and it's easy. It, it's not complicated. Not one single guy that I just mentioned have I ever had some kind of weird fallout with. Believe it or not, we haven't had two fistfights in that group. But we've never had a fallout. It was just like, you know, ball court. And next thing you know, shoving. And then swinging. And then laughing. and But we get each other. We're friends. And the reason I can say that Jesus is... My best friend is because of that very thing. Jesus gets me. He gets me. He he, he gets me. All that's going on in my little world, from the crazy thoughts in my mind, to the issues I work through, to, to the words I speak, to the feelings I feel, Jesus gets me. And, and he's okay with me. He doesn't try to make me something I'm not. He's constantly trying to pull me up closer to him. But it's not out of judgment. It's out of love. And he's trying to reveal to me a better path to take. He's my best friend. Now, that doesn't go far enough for some people. And I'm aware of that. Some people, that's not enough. They need a little something more deep. They need a little something more uh, biblically based. So let me introduce you to what is known as the theology of identification. The theology of identification. I just kind of summed it up, but let me give it to you in a little bit more um, biblical approach. And it's found in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2. The theology of identification, Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 17 through 18 from the message transliteration of scripture, and really that the theology of identification is how Jesus identifies with you. How does he get you? It's because he identifies with you, and this is what the Bible says. That's why, speaking of Christ, that's why he had to, he had to enter into every detail of human life. He had to enter into every human detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and he would be able to help where help was needed. Now, let me kind of summarize That portion of scripture. There's not one thing that you have gone through. And there's not one thing that you will go through. That Jesus Christ hasn't already experienced himself. The remainder of this sermon today. I'm going to open up some of your eyes. Some of you are already there. But there's some of you that I'm going to open up your eyes. Seeing Jesus in a way that you've never seen him before. Most of our modern-day believers view Christ as a far-off, unreachable, distracted, uninterested deity in heaven. Most modern-day believers do not view Jesus Christ as someone that they interact with. It's someone that's so far away that they... Are just basically hoping, hoping that their prayers are heard from some far off, distant deity in heaven. And it's not relatable, they don't connect with it. So therefore, they find themselves practicing religion more than they practice relationship with Jesus. I'll use this description. They relate with him through liturgical practices rather than real life relationship. And Jesus gets you so much that he wants to toss out the liturgical steps and he just wants to love you as a best friend would love you. Here's a few examples. Uh, This sermon could be easily 50 pages long and could go for hours Without exhausting how Jesus relates to us. So let me just kind of sum it up in a few good preaching points. And then we'll see if we can apply it. The first of which is that Jesus Christ gets you because he understands relationships. Jesus Christ had a family. And a lot of us only think about Jesus on the cross. A lot of us only think about, when I say Jesus, you think about Easter Sunday, the resurrection day. Or maybe you think about, you th- you think about Jesus returning to earth one day uh, to, to conquer the enemy and, and, and establish his kingdom forever. But the truth be known, Jesus Christ became, it was the, uh, the book of John says that the Word became flesh, God became flesh. He lived in the same type of skin that you and I live in. And he experienced the same type of stuff that you and I experience. And he had to do that. It was imperative because when he would go to the cross, he had to take care of business once and for all. All past, present, and future sin had to be forgiven. So he had to fully understand what it meant. To live in this life of humanity. God became a man. When he sent his only one and begotten son, Jesus Christ. But the man Jesus Christ had a family. And a lot of you have never, you've never allowed yourself to go here. And, and some of you are, are, are going to get tickled at a little bit of this. And that's my intent. I want you to... See the humor in the fact that Jesus loved you enough that he was, he was brought up with a family. The Bible tells us in Mark 6 and 3 that he had brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And he had sisters also. And a lot of people don't even give themselves over to the fact that he had family. Now, just this is not a trick question, but if you have a brother, or if you have a sister, or if you have a mother, or if you have a father, or if you have a son, or if you have a daughter, if you have one of those in your world, I want you to raise your hand. Unreal, that's like everybody. Wow, that's 100% of the room. Of course it is. It's because every single one of us have a family relationship of some kind. And guess what? Christ did also. Well, when you have a family, what else do you have? You have drama. And all the parents of children said Amen. And all the siblings of brothers and sisters say amen. Amen. And all the kids of parents say amen. Amen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We know what drama's going on in that house. (laughs) You've got drama when you've got family. And uh, I told this this, uh, story at the 830. I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't tell it at the 10 o'clock service. But when you've got a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old, two girls... Uh, I'm so sick and tired of people telling me they try to encourage me, and I don't need your encouragement. I'm sick and tired of, parent, of people coming up going, You just need to be encouraged, brother. They're going to grow out of it. No, they're not. Because I pastor a church of adults that still have sibling drama. I've got 40 and 50 year olds in here. I need, a, I need to have a cup of coffee with you. Why? It's about my brother. I'm like, Dude, you're 50. I know, he's a punk. Here's the, here's the deal. It's family drama. We're going to use this word, and no one get offended by it, dysfunction. Every family has dysfunction. Well, you don't know our family. Our family is not, that is dysfunctional. You have in the view that you don't have dysfunction. <laughs> that may be more dysfunction than anything, that you think that you're perfect. You're dysfunctionally Perfect. Every family has a degree of dysfunction, and some of you have never considered this. Jesus Christ gets us because he grew up with a family. Don't you know that some of his brothers gave him a wedgie? I've been waiting to say that all day. I didn't say that in the 830, and I didn't say it in the 10. I think these 1130 folk can handle it. Jesus had a wedgie. And some of you are looking at me going, that's a little too far. That's a little too sacrilegious. No, it's not. Here's what you know about Jesus. What's recorded in the Gospels. Well, what's recorded in the Gospels, give or take, from 30 years old to 33 and a half years old, give or take, depending on what commentary you read. You know the story and the, and the recordings of, of, of a few different viewpoints about his ministry you got to remember, he was born in a very unique, strange, odd way. And I'm going to let the parents in the room fix this later. But he was born of a woman that had never known a man in intercourse to be impregnated by a man. He was born of a woman that was a virgin. Now, if that doesn't start off dysfunctional, we don't know what it is. It's the Immaculate Conception. The Bible says Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she said, she said, Let it be. She agreed to the plan to carry the very Son of God in her womb and give birth to him. She agreed to it. She knew what she was signing up for, but she had no idea what the dysfunction would bring. Think about the reputation of this woman, think about the reputation of the boy. Think about the reputation of the dad, Joseph, the earthly man that would be a a guardian to and an overseer of Jesus. Think about all the dysfunction this brought. But Jesus now, today, sitting in heaven can be your very best friend. Because if, if, if there's anything he gets, he gets and understands family dysfunction. He understands family drama. He had brothers. He had sisters. They pranked each other. They played jokes on each other. They picked on each other. They probably had flag football games, and and he never was able to be all-time quarterback because he had a weak arm. Maybe he was a free safety. LSU really got beat bad last night. I'm still dwelling on college football. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord, for my mind being so distracted. But I'm juggling those ping pong balls pretty good right now. Did you notice that? A little ADD moment right in the middle of my sermon. Jesus had a family, and the man understood dysfunction. I'll tell you what else he understood as a family. The good days and the hard days. You ever thought about this? Jesus had birthday parties. You ever thought about this? Jesus had to go to school. You ever thought about this? That Jesus probably had odd and end jobs at, at, at 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. He probably had to mow the neighbor's yard for five bucks. See, some of us have never gone there because that's not the Christ we know. We go to Mardell Christian Store and we see him with his perfect complexion, his pretty little eyes, and he's got a kid on his lap. And that's the Jesus we know. The truth is, Jesus lived the very life that you and I lived to the point that he relates with us on every single level. Here's one that just kind of sums it up. Hebrews 4:15. Not only does he understand and relate to relationships, he understands life. Hebrews 4:15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, he is able. He sympathized with it. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted in every... Whatever temptation comes to your mind, Jesus was tempted in every way. Tempted to eat the whole bag of chips. Tempted to go by Dairy Queen three times in a day. Tempted to... To text message, something you shouldn't. Tempted to skip school. Tempted to take something that doesn't belong to you. And, and a lot of people get uneasy with this thought. That's kind of sacrilegious. No, you're still viewing him at 30 years old and beyond. Pre his baptism by John when the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, we don't have have much recordings of what what he went through. We just know that he became flesh and he was tempted in every way. So before we think he ate all the chips and before we think he stole something he shouldn't have, that's not what we're saying. The Bible says though that he was tempted in every way. But what does it say? Just as we are, yet he was without sin. But he felt the inner pressure that every single one of us have felt in all areas of our life. You know one thing about Jesus that maybe you've never seen him in this light? The culture that he grew up in, in the time frame that he grew up in, somewhere around 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, he was viewed to play a role at providing in the family structure. In other words, he went to work. In his father's cabinet shop. His dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. His his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. And around 12 years old, he went to work in the family business. And he learned the business. So for every businessman or every businesswoman in the room, just as he relates to family drama, he relates to stress in the workplace. He understands customer relations. He understands payroll. He understands deadlines. He understands benefits. He understands vacation time. He understands it all because he's been there. He's done that. He's dealt with bitter customers. Hey, uh, 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 you made me this stool last week for our kitchen table, and that leg's crooked. And you and I would think, well, he's Jesus. He's just going to speak to the crooked leg and say, crooked leg, be straight. <laughs> That's the Jesus of the Gospels. I got a feeling that he understood he had to take that leg off. And, and, and he understood he had to make a new leg for the bar stool. And he had to, he had to go to the lathe. He had to make a new leg. He, had, he got the old wood glue out. And he got the nail gun and he made it right. And then at dinner that night, I'm sure Joseph was like, what happened to the Smith family? They were upset about a bar stool. They posted negative reviews on Yelp over us. What happened? They're all been out of shape about the bar stool. Did you make it right? I made it right. What'd you do? Well, I had to make a new leg. Well, that's coming out of your paycheck, son. He understood all that. One of my very first jobs uh, that I can have memory of was was in my dad's business that he owned and operated, and he allowed me to make a little extra spending money with taking out all the trash and and cleaning up the little break room. And then I got a raise because I got strong enough to push mow the yard of his business. So here I was. That was I learned my dad's business, not so much his skill, but I learned about his business by being employed at his office. And Jesus Christ, without question. Knew what it was like to work in a family environment. His dad became his boss. He, got, he had to learn the trades. And what, what, what few of us never want to think about is that started at about 12. His ministry started at about 30. So this wasn't like a five minute deal. He had a career. And he was on a career path. And some of you need to hear what the preacher's trying to convey in a unique, different kind of way today. He, he knew what it was like to have career paths interrupted. He knew what it was like to try to juggle a passion and a paycheck. He understood all of the variables that drive us crazy. Crazy. He understands the family drama, the dysfunction of brothers and sisters. He understands the weird family reunions when you're not sure who your dad is. We laugh, but that's the case. He understands that, and he understands the business world. Why would he do all of that? Because he wanted to qualify, not just as savior, And we're going to close with the salvation story. But he wants to qualify as your best friend. He relates in every area. One of the areas that very few people realize that you can go to the Lord with. You can take Jesus your pain. We're quick to pray about the, the physical pain, you know. Oh, man, Pastor Tommy, pray for me. My elbow, I got that tennis elbow, man, it's really hurting me. That, that's one type of pain. But, but this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 3 concerning Jesus. And I'm going to highlight three words from the Scripture. That he was despised and rejected. Everyone say rejected. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. Everyone say the word sorrows. And he was familiar with suffering. One last time, say suffering. Rejection, sorrows, and suffering. Rejection, sorrows, and suffering. He understands relationships. He understands real life, holding down a job, limited vacation time, limited sick leave, and he understands pain. The first one, rejection. I'm glad to see a few students in this third service. The 8.30, we had very few. The 10 o'clock, we had room full today. And let me talk to all of our students in the room. If you're old enough to just kind of comprehend, I want you to listen to me for a moment. We live in a very mean culture. Schools today are just, they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just playgrounds of the mean, it seems. Kids are picked on for being tall, picked on for being short, picked on for being smart, picked on for being dumb. Picked on for being fast, picked on for being slow. Kids are just flat out bullied over anything. Picked on for being white, picked on for being black, picked on for being a mix. Picked on, picked on, picked on. And we wonder who do we go to with this? Do we go to the school counselor? Do we go to a do we go to social media with it? Can I just tell you something? No one's ever understood adolescent rejection like Jesus did. You think we've got it tough being, you know, like I struggle with, you know, I'm I'm, I'm really tall, I'm very smart. I was picked on all the time for being way too accelerated in my intelligent level. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. For real though, check this out. You think we've got it tough being picked on and being rejected? Put yourself in this cat's shoes. You're not real sure who your dad's is. And your mom has a reputation that's really weird. So, you got this new kid at school who moves in from Florida. And he says, hey, who's that guy over there all by himself in the corner? Oh, you don't know him? That, that's, that's that's Jesus. Well, what's the problem with Jesus? Is he got the flu or something? No, no, no. There's it's kind of weird. Word on the street is his, his, his mom was a virgin when she had him. What? That doesn't make any sense. So nobody's gonna pick him on the team. Nobody's gonna want to sit by him in class. But that's not the Jesus you think about, right? You think about the one that's feeding the 5,000 with fish and bread. You think about the one that calls Lazarus out of a tomb. You think about the one that walks on water. You think about that Jesus. Because that's a really good Jesus story. But the truth is the only way he could ever conquer death, hell, and the grave on the cross is was the fact that he had to go through every single thing that we'll ever go through. He emptied himself, the Bible says, and took upon the form of a servant to fulfill the will of the Father. And he understood what rejection really meant. Think about sorrow. You and I experience sorrow. The loss of loved ones, the loss of jobs, the sorrow of of bad economies, the sorrow of of disappointed dreams and goals, the sorrows of life. But think about the sorrows of Jesus. Now I'm going to stretch some of you. Go with me right now in your mind to the night before the crucifixion. We're at the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> and Jesus knows that come daylight, my whole world's changing. And the Bible says it this way, but I'm going I'm to modernize it. The Bible says, Lord, I just want to be normal. I just want a wife and some kids and have a few acres out in the country, you know, raise some sheep or something. But, not my will be done, let thine be done. But if there's any way that this bitter cup of suffering can pass by me, I would really opt out. But I know what you've called me to do. You've called me to take care of the sin of the world. The past, present, and future sin of all mankind. So Lord, I'm going to obey and I'm going to sacrifice life To give them life. I'm going to forego retirement. Golf course. Vacations to Europe. To give them life. And Jesus Christ. Fulfilled the will of the father. When the sun rose. And they placed the cross on his back. And he drug it up the hill to Golgotha. Talk about suffering. The man of sorrows, suffering at a whole another level. This is the level that he suffered. Isaiah fifty-three and verse five. He was pierced for our transgressions. They took a spear and they shoved it up into his rib cage, splitting the ribs and entering into the internal organs and shattering his heart. To the degree that the fluids of blood and water flowed freely. Talk about suffering. He fully experienced it. Did he feel that? He felt every bit of that. The man, Christ Jesus, felt everything. With every blow of the hammer upon the hand into the cross's wood. Every pain around his brow when they placed the thorns upon his head. When they drilled those feet to the cross with just that slight blunt spike. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. You having peace with God. Everybody say the word righteousness. Let me give you a crash course on what that means. You being right with God was established at the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What Jesus did was give you peace with God. Jesus dying on the cross made you right with God. Because before Jesus and before the cross, you were in wrong standing with God. You We're in debt, not from credit cards, but from sin. And Jesus said, I'm gonna pay that debt and I'm gonna make them right. It's gonna be even. They're gonna be clean and clear of all debt and it's gonna bring them peace because they're gonna be in good standing with God. But guess what? It was the peace of our world, it was was the punishment. At the cross that brought us that peace rather. And then it goes on to say and by his wounds we are healed. Why is Jesus my best friend? Because Jesus is the only one that qualifies to play that role in my life. Because he knows what it's like. Every detail of my life. I've got one best friend. He doesn't know what it's like. To lose a dad I've got one best friend that I don't know what it's like to lose a daughter we call ourselves best friends but the truth be known there's things that we don't sympathize well with one another because we've never been in each other's shoes but Jesus Christ from his birth to his death on the cross Fully understands anything and everything that you'll ever go through. He qualifies as best friend. And over the next two minutes, I'm going to show you how he qualifies as Savior. Savior of your spirit. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? Here's the first one. Let me ask you a question. It's not even a hard fastball. Gentle softball. Rec League, D-League ball, here it comes. So easy, anybody can hit it. Have you made Jesus your best friend? Have you brought him into that role? Or do you see him and try to relate with him as a, a deity out of reach? Well, if I, wanted to, if, if I wanted to be best friends, well, what's the first step I take? How, how do I initiate that kind of relationship? You talk to Him. You just talk to Him. This is why people don't pray anymore. Let me tell you why we don't pray. Because we think that prayer has to be something long, intense, and goofy. Anybody ever grow up in an environment where prayer got a little goofy, got a little weird? I grew up in a church that when we got to praying and praying got really good, that they would sit out a chair. And the one being prayed for would sit in the chair. I was scared of the chair. I didn't want anything to do with the chair. Because I didn't know what why I got to get in the chair. Prayer doesn't have to be goofy. Prayer can be short talk, to the point talk. Anybody would, let me ask you this. Would you prefer to text or call? All the texters in the room, raise your hand. Y'all lying. All the texters in the room, if you prefer (laughs) text, everybody's like, not in church, I prefer to call. No, you don't. You bunch of lying dogs. You know we love some texting. Why do we love some texting? Because I can just say it and move on. I don't have to ask you how the day going, what's the weather. I can just say pick me up. I can just say turkey on wheat. I don't have to get into too much. There's a lot of people not praying because they think they got to get into too much. Have you ever noticed we put on when we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, yes. thou God of heaven and earth. I'm sure your best friend's like, dude's drunk. Why is he talking to me all like that? That's my boy. That's Tommy. And he's approaching me like that. The Nora just tried to correct me the other day. I was sending a text, and she goes, I don't know why you do that. I'm like, what? She goes, the way you text, nobody texts like that. I'm, it's my text, shut up. What are, you, what are you messing with me on my text for? She goes, baby, just text it. Just, just get to the point. I'm like, what are you talking about? Nobody texts like that. I'm like what? Says, baby, you got paragraphs, and you space. I'm like, I got a lot to say. She goes, well, don't. Just be to the point. And you know what? There's a lot of truth in this. A lot of us don't pray because we think that we've got to pretend and we've got to perform and we've got to put on this different person. And if he's your best friend, man, he just wants you to hit him with what's up. And I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I learned something watching my kid the other day. She FaceTimed her cousin. And I thought, man, this is cool. They're fits and I have a really good heart-to-heart long conversation. <laughs> hey. Hey. You're doing what I did. I went, y'all talk. Say something. Shut up, Dad my cousin. I I know. know. But you're talking. But you're not talking. How you doing? Good? What are you doing? Nothing. Give me the phone. If you got somebody live, talk. And I learned something in the moment. They're so close. They don't have to. Hello there, cousin. (laughs) How was your day at school? Mine was good. We had poodle sandwiches. They said chicken, but there's no way it was really chicken. And they don't have to put on. I know, that was a very unattractive joke. Should have said cat. So stay with me, ADD people in the room. The point is, you don't have to go so far that it's pretend. They're so comfortable with each other, that's all they did. They were just, what's up, None. Didn't last long and they connected. And there's a lot of us in this room that we need to start connecting more with our best friend. You don't have to schedule it. You don't have to have the worship music on. You don't have to turn the lights out. You don't have to put your phone on mute just talk just just talk because that's what he wants he wants to be as real as what you consider a best friend to be and my final walk away point is the reason I woke up this morning and every morning and that is have you trusted him with your future The Bible says this, and I close. John chapter 1 verse 12 out of the Living Bible says, But to all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. This is so good. All they needed to do, all they needed to do was to trust him to save them. So my final question to us today in this opening sermon of this series. Have you made him your best friend? Have you talked to him in a while? And have you trusted him with salvation? Because unlike my fellas in Michigan and Ohio and Florida and Mississippi, California, Louisiana, Arkansas... Unlike my buds that I consider my best of best of friends, none of them, none of them can save me. That's why Jesus qualifies to be the best of the best. Not only does he get me in my family issues, (laughs) raising my kids, paying bills, navigating a whole new world without my father. Not only does he get me there, He also gets me in holding down a job, trying to schedule family obligations, work obligations, the stress of life. He gets me there. And all the stuff that I struggle with, my own hurts, my own pains, my rejections that come in the job that I have. There's a lot of rejection in the ministry. It's a lot of acceptance, but the acceptance is typically in the ministry pretty superficial. It's kind of surface acceptance, but the rejection's in the bone marrow. Not only does he get me there, he gets me in my sorrows, he gets me in my pain, my suffering. So why not? Why would I not want to take him up on the relational opportunity of best friendship? There's nothing I can ever bring up that he doesn't already have an answer to. There's no experience that I can share with him that would make him treat me differently. There's nothing about my world that he doesn't relate to. So I need to talk to him. I need to get to know him better. And then ultimately, I just need to go all in and trust him with my future. And this morning before I pray over you, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you to respond to that last question. Real quick, let's stand together. Prayer partners, if you're in the room, if I can have a few prayer partners to come and join me right here in the front. I want to ask you this question before we dismiss you. Have you trusted the Lord? with your future because most of us view Jesus Christ as the one that we trust our past with right he's the one that takes away the sin but he's the kind of friend that not only you can trust him with yesterday you can trust him with tomorrow because the Bible says he's the way the truth and the life he is the way and the salvation Jesus wants to save you. Not just forgive you of your sin. He wants to save you. He wants your name written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm asking every student. And I'm asking every parent. I'm asking every husband. Every wife. Every adult. If you've got breath in your lungs in this room. If you're breathing. I'm asking you this question. Do you know that you know. That you know, that you know, that you know. That you're saved. Ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're ready to, to know without question that you're saved. Would you allow me to lead you to Jesus and establish a new friend in your world? Real quick, don't even think about it. I want you to lift your hand real quick. If you're ready to give your heart fully to Jesus. I see you there, sir. Anyone else? Lift it up real tall. Please, just just lift it up. I'm just trying to make make, make awareness. That I see you there, ma'am. I see you there, sir, and sir, and sir. My goodness, I see you here in the center. This is the best response all day. I'm so excited right now for you. If you have your hand lifted up, and and, and I'm going to ask you to just trust me on this, okay? I won't do anything to embarrass you. If you have your hand lifted up, would you be willing to just step out and come see me in the front real quick? I will not keep you long. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I promise you, I just want to pray over you, and I want to talk to you heart to heart. Keep coming. God bless you as you're coming today. If you had your hand lifted up, just come on down here. I see a beautiful child. I see a beautiful couple. Is there anyone else? If your hand's lifted, won't you come? Oh, this is beautiful. That's why I love this 1130 service. You guys just respond so well. I love this service so much. God bless you as you're coming as a couple and as a family, possibly a father and a daughter. My friend's coming. I love this beautiful lady right here. It's Virginia, right? My friend Virginia shared something with me recently. She said, Pastor Tommy... I attend my Catholic church every single Sunday morning and I leave just a bit early to come to your church. There's something I feel at your church. This girl's a double dipper. She goes to church twice every Sunday. She's covering all of her bases and I love it. I love you. I'm proud of you right now. This is a huge decision you're making. People often ask me, why do you like that third service so long? Is it because you get to preach long? No, I actually preach a lot shorter. There's just a freedom in this service. Before I lead these to Jesus, is there, good to see you, sir. Thank you, young man. Is there anyone else that you just want to, you're just ready. You're ready to go all in. You're ready to give your heart to Jesus. You want to make him Lord. You want to make him the Lord of all. Not church, not religion, but best friendship kind of stuff. You want to get to know him. You want him to get to know you. You're really ready to just say, you know what? I've got her and I've got him, but man, I need, I, I, I need him. Is there anyone else before I pray? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. That's the Holy Spirit working on you as a family. How beautiful is this is this? is why. <sighs> God bless you, ma'am. She's coming. God bless you. Wow. I don't know what else to say other than congratulations. Because money can't buy what you're about to receive. There's not a kid in junior high or college, friend at work that can do what Jesus is about to do in your life. And he relates to you guys. He gets you. He understands you fully. Now, I want to lead you to Jesus. This is the greatest day of my life. And it's yours as well. If you're in the front, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I I wish I could pray this for you, but you know that that would be that would be in contradiction to the word of the Lord. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth. But I do believe it's okay if I lead you just to kind of help you Now, out of your heart, if you sincerely mean this from your heart, pray this out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I repent today of my sin. Forgive me of everything I've ever done wrong, even if I didn't know I was doing it. Forgive me of my wrongdoings. I believe with all my heart that you are the only way into salvation. There's no other way so right here right now I commit to follow you all the days of my life become the Lord of my life you call the shots from here on out I thank you for this church now thank you for bringing me here today but most importantly Lord I thank you for a new best friend in Jesus I believe, guys, y'all can look at me. I believe with all my heart that today you just entered into a brand new relationship. You're a part of a whole new family. The family of God. Relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you guys something. Now, Now I'm not trying to exclude these young children. But to those that are of a great age of understanding, I want y'all to look at me. And before we go home, I want you to hear me. Everything in yesterday, just leave it there because that's where it belongs. You have what I believe, and I'm going to ask our prayer partners, Kim and Marsha, if you'll go and receive our Fresh Start books. I believe that you're starting a fresh, new life. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to, you know, you still got to go to work and you doesn't mean that you drop your friends because they're a reason there in your life. But what it does mean is from now on, you become a light to them. Tell them about the difference in your life. Share with them the love of God. And what I'm giving you today, can you come up here, sweetheart? Do you mind? And can I have your book? That is the coolest shirt. You're a camo chick, and I love it. This little book's called Fresh Start, and I believe with all my heart that if you'll kind of get into that, read it a little bit, it's going to help you start making some better decisions that's going to bring about better results in your life. So let this be a gift to you from us, and we celebrate that. Calvary Church, can we celebrate these beautiful families and children? Thank you.